opinions on how politics directly affects our lives and why we should be involved. Who and how our political leaders are chosen for certain communities. Next, you'll hear from a Jamie Nesbeth Golden of a local news reporter of a Block Club Chicago, which was a fascinating, I mean, dynamic conversation. Um, a conversation I would love to have feedback on. Not only that, from all of the episodes. So please, you all, send in your feedback. I would love to hear comments. This January 2020 marked a very historical event as to where all five Inglewood aldermans came together to listen to the residents of Inglewood voice their concerns uh, about some of the issues uh, that are being raised in Inglewood. They came together to address these issues together, stand together, answer questions together. It It was beautiful. It was like, I'm pretty sure you all will enjoy that portion. Just seeing them uh, coming together to find solutions together and, again, bridging those gaps. Our last True Chat guest for this week is a Mr. Phil Sepka, uh, executive director of uh, Kusanya Cafe. Uh, This story here is really dear to this community. Not this last segment. You'll hear a model example of how a natural order of people play out. The strengths of a people individually show up when we allow that natural order to take place. In other words, we're not dealing with each other and making decisions from a low-level vibration or frequency. We're coming from a place of love. We're not governed by those places like I mean, fear, uh, of the feelings of lack. Uh, yeah, instead, we allow each other's cultural differences to bring us together and work naturally to assist each other in creating a new reality. Co-creating. And I got Mr. Martin Carter on the phone with a lot, he gives a lot of information about Inglewood politics. What I'd like for you to do is to break down for people who don't understand why it is important for us to know anything about politics. Just in layman's terms, especially as business owners, why would we need to know anything about politics on a just basic level? Well, just straight to the point, politics uh, dictates your life from the time you're born to the the, the days that you're living to the days that you die. Uh, Politics have a a very big impact on your life Uh, to determine whether you keep your children, keep your home, lose your life, politics uh, play a major role in that and those things. And so when you look at uh, politics in the sense of community, uh, it's really like you, right, where there's mass justification plans going on. We look at the overall plan in these 16 communities through these 14 organizations. The politics basically is saying that Inglewood is a community plagued by crime and violence and unemployment to the point to where they believe that they should just wipe the people out. Well, because of politics and their politics is the reason why Inglewood is in a situation that it is. And so for them to turn around and say that they should justify the community, well, they should be held accountable because they're the ones who created the monster that all of a sudden now that they want to deal with. 
politics that led to the starvation of communities like Inglewood are headed up by some of the most corrupt people in the world. Uh, in particular, when you talk about the new community program, quality of life plan, you have people like Julia Stan that work for Mayor James, uh, who is the architect and funder. Now that she's with the MacArthur Foundation, she's the funder of this massive plan to come in and take control of the community. Uh, do you look at the... Uh, you look at the uh, 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 the railroad. The railroad is, is very much so. Uh, 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 the railroad is very much so playing a major part in this as well. And so we have to rise up as communities like Lawndale, Inglewood, Roseland, uh, uh, Woodlawn. You know, these are the communities that have been marginalized to the point where they just starved into savagery. When you hear about violence that goes on. It is the politics that drove the people into, into the savage behavior. If you, if you starve a group of people quite naturally, you're going to get a response. Uh, you're going to get a response. I was trying to come up with programs that I know that my company offered uh, that uh, were also available through ASM because I wanted to bring ASM. The whole idea of the students or our teens working and getting paid, they're working, doing what they like to do, what they right, love to do. Right. They're finding themselves. And that's something that we didn't grow up really doing. I know for me in this community, it wasn't there. There it wasn't any options. Right. right. So, so ASM, to be clear, is After School Matters, yes, right? Yes, After okay. School Matters. I just want to be sure. So I wanted to bring them to Moran Park. They are in Inglewood, but uh, because of the split and the divide here mm -hmm. in, this, uh, in this community, mm -hmm. Uh, amongst, you know, in Inglewood, it's kind of necessary to have different programs in the different parts. And not only that, they're under, underutilized. Mm -hmm. So my alderman, which is the 16th Ward alderman, she's always accessible. She's also a member of our board here. Mm -hmm. So, um, she, you know, we talk all the time. So that was a no-brainer to interview her and get her story. Not only that, you'll probably hear her voice a couple of times throughout. Um, so that she can, they can see the the connection. It's it's more so of bridging the gaps. We have a lot of things we've been talking about in the community. Um, one in particular, like the generational gaps. Mm -hmm. So being able to like connect just on a personal level with your alderman um, and have these type because for me, true chat is more of of a we have conversations, discussions. It's not so much an interview, a Q and A, exactly. whatever. It's an organic. Sort yes. Of thing. The other uh, aldermans, I have to get to know. They're not as accessible and they're not as visible mm -hmm. as these two. Who you will tell our listeners who oh. you are and what you do here in Inglewood. Well, um, I am Jamie Nesbitt Golden. I've been the Inglewood reporter for Block Club Chicago for a year now. Um, I cover Inglewood, Auburn Gresham, and Chatham. So any news that happens, be it school related, pol politically related, um, sports related, I'm covering it. Um, and it's been a real, really, like, I've been really fortunate to, like, find really great stories and really great people um, to, to cover and to write about because it's not all doom and gloom. It's not all bad here. And I think um, as a kid from the low end, <laughs> like, Oh, I know. Wait, wait, excuse me. What is the low end? The People low end. Say that and so, like, where is the low end? <laughs> the low end is like Forty Seventh Tobacco Road. It's like right where um, Michigan. Um, it's Michigan Wabash, um, Indiana, 
like right in the the Grand Boulevard area. So like you remember like that stretch of um forty seven that used to be like you know all nightlife and mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. <laughs> so that's I where see. I come from. Okay. So like I I know living like being a South Sider all my life like our neighborhoods our people get a bad rap and I think being able to sort of shape the narrative um to you know amplify voices that are doing the work that live play work here breathe you know the city despite you know like whatever challenges the city puts in front of them I think that's important mm-hmm. yeah tell us why are you excited to share with uh, True Chat um, because like they're not uh, there's there are not a lot of avenues of vehicles for us right um, you have a lot of you know things mainstream media does a really bad job of covering the things that matter to us and I think one of the great things I like working about the one of the great things I like about working for Block Club is that I get to cover like even like the small stuff mm-hmm. like you'd be surprised like Covering, you know, like the, you know, a, a school getting like new, you know, playground equipment or like Bronzeville getting a new dog park, you know, like, and th- it's so layered. Like you don't realize just how much <laughs> goes into just simply getting a dog park on the south side. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I'm sorry, I might be, I mean, I tend to get a little profane when I get excited. We like that. So, <laughs> so I, I get excited about it because like. There's so many, like I said, there's so many people doing this sort of thing. There's so, like, there are podcasts all over this city, and a lot of us are doing them, but we never get shine for it. And I think it's important to, like, again, amplify those voices. Like, there's nothing like people telling their own stories. Yes. And, like, this allows people to do that, and I think it's a vital, vital thing. Yes. What was the best thing? What was one of the best experiences that you had here in Inglewood while you while you're doing your work so wow um so last year I got a chance to interview a woman who was an uh animal uh rescuer like she rescued feral cats Mm -hmm. for like 20 years and Mm -hmm. she had recently lost her job and she volunteered the animal show uh she volunteered at paws um for like 20 years too so uh, so I interviewed her and she's like the sweetest thing like she's Mm -hmm. And she's given her life to like taking care of these cats that don't have homes. And she needed um, a replacement furnace and a generator. So she had a GoFundMe that wasn't really getting enough attention or whatever. So did the story, posted the GoFundMe. She met her goal in like less than a day. That's what's and she up. had like a she still had money left over to take care of other household repairs. But like that house had been her family for generations. Like she had grown up in that house. And you know, like Again, there's so many, again, it's about people doing the work and it's about amplifying those voices mm-hmm. and it's about taking care of our own. Taking care of our own. Journalism oh for me has always been advocacy. <laughs> yes. Like I can't, you know, it's great to like cover celebrities, it's great to do that, whatever, but community journalism saves lives. Like it saved my life. So mm-hmm. like I can only pay it forward. It saved your life. You know you just opened it up. So <laughs> this is how discussions go. <laughs> this is how discussions oh, go. Damn it. So now you opened me. That's what I'm talking about. That's what we do here, True Chat. All right, (laughs) me like I, I was a really shitty student. I went Mm -hmm. to Kenwood, so class of ninety, and um, (laughs) ninety, and um, I didn't know what I wanted to do until I was in this program. It was like um. 
some explorers program where they allowed high school students to sort of shadow people in careers or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I became a, a cup reporter for the Chicago Defender in like, again, in 90 something. And just being surrounded by all that history, um, being able to see my byline. Chicago Yeah, like, I mean, like it's Chicago yeah. Defender. Like, mm-hmm. um, so I did that. And that's when I knew, like, cause I didn't really have, and well, I did have ambition, but I, I think that I didn't think my chances were good because I grew up on 47th Street and mm. the Rosenwald mm. back then, it wasn't like in the heyday where you had, you know, doctors and lawyers and all that type of shit. Like you had what you had and like those people raised me and that I'm always grateful, like for, for that neighborhood. Can I? Okay. We always have to sort of proceed with caution, right? Like, I mean, there's, we love, but, and, and we welcome, but we do so in caution. And we're really, you know, we have to kind of be careful. Um, not saying that there's not space for everybody under this umbrella, but like, if the last, even the last 10 years, um, like seeing, you know, like our, our parents and our grandparents' dreams sort of realize into this one person who actually becomes a leader of the free world and is punished every step of the way until he leaves and then is replaced by totally the opposite <laughs> like, I mean, tearing down all right, that that's shit that's not like a you know a, like a clear message to yep. you I don't know what it like mm-hmm. they were just like look at what we will do right like look at him <laughs> him um and so that and, and again, I'm see, like you kind of see this play playing out in the current race where you have like the one of the front runners, one of the perceived front runners is a small town mayor with a black problem, but he's you know he's seen as the guy that is you know capable of taking on Trump, and it's like okay, but like we identity politics has become a dirty word, but white folks have been practicing it for as long as you know we've been doing politics, right? Um, and, but it's not a bad thing for us because, I mean, you know, like our, our votes, our voting, our, our beliefs, um, are part of us. And when we go to the voting booth or we go to the polling place, we are holding our noses to, to pick these people who may not fall, you know, in lockstep, you know, whose beliefs may not fall in lockstep with ours. But we're able to, again, sort of go back to extending that grace, extending that sort of, you know, like thinking, you know, like, well, he's not the best candidate, but he's at least going to recognize that, you know, he's going to recognize my humanity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, when I think about Buttigieg, when I even think about but our current mayor, like, while I admire their journeys as folks who have had to deal with struggle with adversity because of how they identify i think there's, a, there's still a disconnect with certain groups yeah specifically <laughs> us and i just i think the the hardest lesson i've learned in the last decade the bitterest pill for me to swallow is that one skin folk and all kin folk and not all queer people are going to be hella hella progressive and I think, and that's the thing I, I still can't reconcile because I'm thinking like if, if we are all supposed to be part of the rainbow, if we are all supposed to be, you know, like then 
then why are we hindering progress? Why are we going backwards? Why are we sort of sabotaging ourselves, if, if that makes sense? Like, I don't understand how yeah. you, I, you know, like, I, I don't understand how you can identify as this one thing and then actively sort of work against or actively work for the erasure of people who are like you. And yeah, I don't know. I'm getting off the table. It's no, not at all. It's, <laughs> it's, it's real. And that is what, like, it is something that we as human beings on this planet have taught a, a, a way of survival to be. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. literally, like, we don't, most people don't realize that that's what they're doing. And it is based on unconscious beliefs. Mm-hmm. It's simple as that. Like, you think you do, like, for me to sit here, like, my mother. And my sisters don't think it's the same thing. They don't see, like... But it's exactly the same but, thing. But they don't see it as that. It's simply a belief. So you, you have to really break down people's, like, belief structures or, or what comes from and only comes from the way I was able to do it. And I still am going through it. I just know how to identify it now. But like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, it's just for me, like, the cognitive dissonance is wild to me because, like, again, we can't, like... Black Lives Matter, when we say Black Lives Matter, but all Black Lives Matter, and it's not just the ones that are male and straight, <laughs> and you know, like it's all of them. Right, okay. right. No, but even then, that was joy right, but no, but even then, like, you know, like I remember having these conversations about Sandra Bland, and you know, well, maybe if she hadn't gotten in the cop's face, and I'm not hearing this from, you know, like. Doug, who lives in his double wide, I'm 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 hearing this shit from Raheem, who lives across across the street from me, who mm-hmm. walked with me when Trayvon was murdered. How are you gonna sit here and say that about Sandra Bland? And mind you, I get and, 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 and all yeah. I get, while I have love for Sandra Bland, I had I, I sympathize for her family. While she was on this earth, we were saying things that we should not have said, particularly uh, particularly about the LGBTQ community right like we're we're actively practicing or espousing these homophobic beliefs so i don't expect folks to get on not everybody should get on board i don't expect everybody to get on board and grieve that loss or per, per se you know what i mean like especially if she's directing it at at that community like you can't sit here again and advocate on behalf of the trayvons and you know the the others of the world and not advocate for queer folks who also are victims of police brutality so we can advocate for sandra and we can celebrate her life or whatever we also have to hold her accountable for her words while she was here Mm -hmm. and i think there's space to do that and i think i mean it's fair and it's also fair if folks are like and "Eh." it's necessary right it's necessary and the reason i say that is because a lot of our children that are out there committing these crimes I say is because we're not doing that very thing. Mm-hmm. We're not creating a safe space for them. And we have to. It starts at home. You know? Like, it mm-hmm. literally starts at home. And I, like, my mother and I, we didn't gather until adulthood. And now it's because, not because she didn't love me. And she loved me too much. I couldn't breathe. <laughs> I think her overbearing nature. We are moving from just being neighbors and residents and those who work together to being brothers and sisters going towards one call. So again, if you can please give yourself a hand and give my all of you.
we're really going to come together and have a frank, upfront conversation about bettering our community. We're going to put together these amazing leaders, personalities, and really be on one accord because unity is what makes a community. You know, every news camera should be here tonight because a couple of weeks ago when we experienced 13 shootings, we made national news. But this is national newsworthy. That this has never been done in a generation of five
south side and the west side of Chicago. Um, frankly, nothing like this has been attempted before, uh, and it is intended to be a strategy for those residents who have stayed and who are planning to stay. Well, all the development is did by white folk. Every morning, white folk get up and come in black neighborhoods and work like bees. Just working and working, and all your sons and daughters ain't got nothing. What safe God you got? That's the real question. We have a good streets and sanitation department. The problem with the streets and sanitation is not them, it's us. We get out there and throw our garbage all up and down the alley. The sweet and sand, Nate, the ward superintendent, he follows his workers in his truck coming down the alley. They pick up, the minute they pick up, someone comes and puts raw garbage in the receptacle blue can. They're not educated. We have a big problem. And our problem is not with the elected officials, it's with us. Because we don't get up and we don't say anything. We sit back and peep out of our curtains and criticize. But we don't have the gumption to get up and open up our voices. West Inglewood has been disinvested. We have not had a lot of economical and development. We had more demolition. Because the truth of the matter, we now have the conversation about these schools are not actually closing. The charter schools don't take over. So let's not be fooled about what's going on with these buildings. They will not be empty. And we, so I'm on the education committee. And one of the things I want to do is call CPS to the carpet to actually see how they spend the money. They got a billion new dollars in revenue from the state. And so it's like, where is this money coming from? And so we need you all at those meetings to voice that. Because I'm clear, I, I, I lived in a community where they had a bunch of school clothes and they merged together. And I didn't, I didn't need a study for them to tell me that merging those schools was going to work. It, it didn't work. We still got kids who are in high school that are not going to graduate from the trauma that is merged. As far as the closing schools, um, I'm hosting um, some community meetings around the closed schools because it's, you just can't decide what you want to do. The community has to be at the table to decide that. Because there's so much trauma that came with these school clothes. It's bad that you graduate from high school and now you can't go back. And so we got to start the conversation. We started, we've been in office since May. We've already started, hopefully you heard about our Women's Small Business Expo that we did. And it's really because there's a lot of people in our community that are not only small business owners. They don't have to be a brick and mortar. You can be a small business owner selling jewelry, purses. A lot of small business owners are in our community, and we have those that desire to be right. small business owners but don't know how to go about it. And so I wanted to make certain that everyone in Inglewood especially knew that we are going to be back out on Saturday, February 22nd. We're going to be at the Inglewood STEM School, out south. The treasurer's office is coming here to Inglewood on Saturday, February 22nd from 10 a.m. until 12 noon. And guess who we're going to have there with us? It ain't just going to be the treasurer's office. We're going to have these banking institutions there, too. Because we need to make certain that people that are holding our money 
Our taxpayers' dollars are being held accountable. So when I bring them to the table on February 22nd, I want to make certain that you are there as well and they need to see our faces and know that we care about our taxpayers' dollars. Thank you. Sanya Cafe, and as you know, as we always do on True Chat, we introduce ourselves. So please, sir, introduce yourself. My name is Phil Sipka. I lived in Inglewood for 12 years now, and I am the executive director of the Kusanya Cafe. Kusanya Cafe. How long has Kusanya Cafe been here? We opened in November of 2013, so a little over six years now. And where are we located? We are at 69th and Greens, just a block off Halston. Mm-hmm. In the south central portion of Inglewood, I guess you said. South central portion of Inglewood. Um, this is actually this is actually becoming a, a home for me now. This is, is going to be a meeting spot, and and as I come up here, I see everybody that somebody in Inglewood is meeting up here, or getting coffee, or eating up here. <laughs> so um, I had the pleasure of hearing the story of Kusanya's beginnings at one of our. Um, one of our community meetings, and I would love for you to share this story. So if you will, please tell us how Kusani got, Cafe got its beginnings, how did it start? Yeah, that's a big story. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, what it started off as is I was living on the next block over on 69th and Peoria for, I lived there for about nine years, but a couple years in we were just talking, um, me and a couple of neighbors, just about the things that we wanted to see in the neighborhood. And, yes. Um, Mostly where it came out, it was not a, not a severe need for just gourmet coffee, but it was more a need for a gathering place. It was more a need for a place to hang out, a place where Inglewood residents could come together and gather a little bit. And uh, we were doing some community organizing. I know, I remember Rage was starting up about that time. And we would have to go to other neighborhoods to meet about our own neighborhood, you know, because we, I mean, and once we decided, we said, you know, we could do a coffee shop and... Coffee shop mostly just because coffee shops are more accessible, I think, than even just restaurants are, meaning that like you don't have to buy a full meal. You can come into a coffee shop, spend a dollar, and you have just as much a right to be there as anybody else. You could but coffee shops that's much more accessible, right? You could come in and just buy a donut or a cup of coffee and nobody's gonna be looking at you weird because that's what people do. So we wanted a place where everybody could kind of be able to afford to come here and take part and feel like they had a right to be here. So um, we started talking as neighbors and stuff like that and getting things together. And we didn't know what we were in for at that time, I think, because we thought, oh man, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna get some money together, we'll do some fundraisers in the neighborhood, we'll put it together. Um, and we wanted to do it as a nonprofit because we wanted to be able to say that nobody owned it. We thought that was really important. And we just say, hey, this is the community shop. Nobody's making any money off this. Nobody's nobody's trying to profit off of the neighborhood. They just we just want it kind of for the neighborhood, by the neighborhood kind of thing. We had a little fundraiser at 68th and Green, uh, and then uh, we started looking for space. And I think that's when we kind of came up against. Well, there's just ways in Inglewood. I think where you, when you start creating things, you can start coming up against a lot of the pressure that's happened in the neighborhood over the last like few decades, right? Like, you can see it from afar, but I think when you start creating, you see the different layers of that oppression, mm-hmm. right? 
and one of those being just the lack of available space. And that's also who controls space in the neighborhood. So a lot of the commercial space we started finding out was not controlled by our, our neighbors. It was controlled by investment companies, it was controlled by, you know, either the city or different people. And like we were looking around, we couldn't find space to, to rent. Like, and if the space existed, like, these investment companies didn't want to put any money into it to get it ready to rent. So we kind of got the runaround for, you know, almost a little more than three years. That's a long time. That's scary. <laughs> it was. It was scary. I think I, I, had, I at that time, I had quit my job because I was like, all right, Camp Bay's going to open. You know, we, we raised some money. We're ready to go. We just thought that we'd go to an owner of some building and said, hey, we've got some money. We want to rent this space. It's been sitting vacant for 20 years. We thought people would be super excited to rent out a space that's been vacant. You know, we thought people would be excited about development in the neighborhood and stuff like that. Inglewood residents were, but unfortunately they weren't the ones controlling the assets, right? Another thing of oppression we got into too is nobody wanted to lend any money to a business starting up in the neighborhood either. That was one thing, they were real cautious. I said, well, we can give you a loan after you've been open for two years, and after two years we won't need the money. We need the money to, to open it. So we couldn't borrow money, we couldn't rent space. Um, the board kept going, man. They kept on going at it. There was a lot of, a lot of praying, a lot of tears. I think I, I personally tried to quit a couple times, um, just because I was tired. You know, you, how long do you keep your life on pause just to see something happen? At what point do you kind of say cut your losses and say, hey, like we tried real hard, um, but it's just not gonna happen. And I think that was really hard. Um, but I would always say that like. It was Inglewood residents that kept me in it personally. And just about the time I was about ready to quit, I remember specifically one time I was gonna quit. I was like, all right, I'm done. I gotta go back. You know, I gotta, I gotta get a job. You know, I can't, I can't stay like this forever. And uh, and I remember my friend Asia called me. And she said, she said like, hey, I'm just checking in. I'll see how everything's going. See if y'all need things. We're gonna keep this thing going. We got, we got it. We gotta get this thing up and running. You know, and I was like, damn. I was just, I was just, re I just emotionally was ready to let it go, you know, like, and then my friend Damon called me and he's like, all right, how's it going, man? We need to, we need to keep this moving. What, what, what do you need? We, we're we're going to do this. We're going to do this together. And I was like, oh, man. So it pulled me right back into it again. Um, and uh, we finally did find, find this spot, like three years in after losing, like, in discussions about six other spots that we had discussed and lost. We finally found this space, and a dude was rehabbing it. And I was like, maybe this is perfect. It's only like half a block from my house. This is perfect, you know? Um, we signed a lease with him, and uh, about the month we were supposed to move in, he ghosted. He was gone. I don't know where he was. We were looking around. Come to find out, he was in federal prison on a quarter million dollar drug deal and he had stopped everything so we were like shoot maybe this is thing supposed to happen you know and uh sometimes i think at least in my mind i thought you know you know you try to do a good thing you know like the world will kind of like karma it'll open itself up to you a little bit and it just did not feel like that it felt like the karma was going in a totally different direction you know and I think the board members were frustrated. Like I was frustrated, um, but one one of our board members at that time just kind of stepped in and said, "I think I 
think like I've been I've been thinking about this a lot. I've wanted to do like social justice via real estate for a while. Um, I think I want to buy the building. So somehow she negotiated with this dude in prison <laughs> uh, to buy the building off of, off of him, and then kind of the cafe kind of then it helped assume some responsibility. And we've been like, all right, well now we got to get this building up and running. That's probably in October of 2012. So it took us about a whole nother year to get everything together. Did another film. We opened in November 2013. Um, now I'm proud to say that like, we always stuck to our guns for a lot of the things that we wanted. There's a lot of there's a lot of justice issues and a lot of times they clash, right? Like they're not it's not super easy to, to do it, you know. Um, we wanted to be Inglewood empowered, meaning that people in Inglewood have have the power to say in what we do for everything. That meant having all Inglewood board members, either they live in the neighborhood right now or they have spent significant time living in the neighborhood. And that limited us a lot. Like there's a lot of people that could have been very helpful or had a lot more money uh, that could, they could have donated, but we made a conscious choice. We wanted that. We also wanted to be a self-sustaining nonprofit, meaning that we can kind of like do cafe sales, we can cover our costs, you know what I mean? Because um, a lot of non-nonprofits get a lot of grants and stuff like that from foundations and things, but where the money is is where the power is. So you can say we have an all Inglewood board, but the, the, the money man is the one that calls a lot of the shots. So we didn't want to be beholden to any you know, rich foundation in the loop or whatever. We wanted to be able to say that we, we control the cards. We, we do the programming, but we do the... We do it the way we want to do it, and that meant controlling the money. And we also wanted things to be affordable for everybody, so that means pricing things lower. Uh, but that's really hard. Sometimes pricing things lower means it's hard to be self-sustaining, right? Like, there's a lot of things that are kind of in conflict, so how do you do that? Um, we want to source from the neighborhood, but that also increases the cost, which could also, you know, sometimes increase, like, the, our ability to be able to be self-sustaining as well. So it's like... It's kind of an interesting model. So we're trying to walk that line really well. We try to staff in the neighborhood as much as we can. Like, um, but it's tough now. Looking back, like six years in, like I feel like we we stuck to our guns through some through some hard years because it's you know it's doing something different. In the neighborhood and hadn't seen a cafe, and a lot of people were naturally and probably rightfully so a little hesitant. Like, what the hell is this thing? You know, like what what's going on? What's what's the angle? You know. Um, but like another thing we did, I think that, that I'm really proud of that as a board, like we decided initially right up front, was like we're not going to put any bars up on the windows, we're going to have a real open model up in here, and in 2013 that was not seen, I and mean, there's, there was no Whole Foods back then, there was no Starbucks or Chipotle, or <laughs> like your traditional food place was like the gyro shop, you know, or whatever, where you kind of yelled something through some plate glass um, and got your food through the turnstile. So some, some well-meaning neighbors said, there's no way you can do this. Like, and I think they cared. It was coming from a place of care, right? It was like, you're going to get busted. busted. Those glasses are going to get busted in all the time. Like, you're going to have to get a buzzer for the door. You can't just let anybody in here. And we talked about it as a board, but we were like, no, like, we know our neighbors. And I think the one thing... One thing that we're sure of, like, during, you know, that we saw, like, just on the block, is, like, I think 
the neighborhood respects things that are good and respects respects people with good intentions and they also respect respect like if they're you generally our neighbors aren't offered the opportunity of being respected first um, and I think I think we all saw that character in the All right, listeners, that's all the time we have for today. But before we get out of here, let me remind you, people, people, do not be bamboozled by the news or the media. If you all remember last week, Renee mentioned in her interview about Kobe, the death of Kobe, and how much and how long we had to actually view that on the news. Now, mind you, we do honor our fallen soldiers, but please, people, do not be distracted. Remember that this is election year. So you will have plenty of distractions to keep you away from the real goal at hand. Don't forget politics. To all my lovers out there, have a great Valentine's Day. And be sure to tune back in to True Chat February the 21st. And on that note, we're out. Peace. Source, 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 energy. 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 Source, 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 energy.